When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. There's a term in the industry, uh, there's a term in recovery uh, that is used. Parents hear it, sometimes they, they know it and they'll look for it, and it's called failure to launch. And this generally indicates, I'm gonna, let, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna let Darren, my guest, actually talk about it. He's the clinical director from Red Rock Recovery Center, and Red Rock's got a unique program, um, and you guys are causing you know, uh, a, a, a pretty decent stir here in Colorado, so nice job. Um, and I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you talk about some of this, but when parents are looking for failure to launch, the idea that's going on in their head is that their kid's 24, they're 23, maybe they dropped out of college or didn't go. They they mom, I'm looking for a job. No one calls me back, and they're playing video games all day. They're staying up till 3 a.m. smoking pot, sleeping till till 1 p.m., 2 p.m., and the cycle's just perpetuating, and they're just not launching out into the world. And my assumption is you work with those types of, of uh, young adults, but really the term we're talking about is emerging adults, and there's a very unique psychology to emerging adults. So Darren, I'm gonna turn it over to you, and we're gonna start talking about emerging adults, but before we do, um, talk about how you ended up in this industry. Were you one of these kids? And now you got your master's and you're a clinical director. Tell us about you, Darren. Absolutely, so I'm originally from Iowa, um, kind of my introduction into the field um, was in 2007 in a group home for young boys aged 12 to 17. You uh, were in the home or you were working? I was working in the home, gotcha, correct. Okay. Yep, so I was working in the home um, and it really was um, people whose parents really didn't have a solution. There were kids in there who had no business being in there, but they didn't. There weren't any after-school programs for them to go to. Gotcha. And then there were sexual offenders, and there were people experimenting with substances, and so it was really very much a, a spectrum. And so that was my introduction into um, sort of the emerging adult population and some of the issues that people deal with when they're coming from traumatic home lives. Um, fast forward to moving here in Colorado, I've been out here about 10 years, and my passion for the work specific to emerging adults really stemmed from working in residential treatment. So that Minnesota model, 18 to 80. And what we would find is when the, the census got about above 20% of the emerging adult population, so 25 and under is what we had right. classified at the time, we called it young adult, which I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, the, the milieu would turn upside down. So it'd become an us against them. The older patients would hate the younger ones. They're backwards hats and they're cursing and their language and they don't show up for anything. And the younger adults felt completely misrepresented. They didn't feel heard. They didn't feel like they could relate to a lot of the older adult issues. So you'd be sitting in a group and half the group is talking about the stress of a mortgage and the stress that their marriage brings. The other half of the group is talking about how stressed they are for their interview at McDonald's. 
and those two just don't jive well. <laughs> and so really the That's Red Rock program, which has been around for about five years, yeah. came out of this need for specialized treatment. This idea that if you put those two developmental um, clients in the same room, they're not both going to get their needs met. It seems that that original model, the 18 to 80, would would create space for mentorship and all this type of stuff. But but you're talking that the that the, the the census is really showing it kind of backfired. Absolutely, and I think that's none more more apparent than with the term millennial and the term boomer. Right. I think. Millennial is being used in a derogatory way. And now I, Boomer is and too. Now, and exactly. Okay, Boomer. Yeah, and that's <gasps> the backlash to the millennial. And so that's exactly where we're at. And I wow. think that's a, that's a microcosm of a greater cultural issue. Of course. We've never been more divided than we are right now. Of course. Millennials against Boomers, Boomers against Millennials. And so you're right, it absolutely did backfire. Yeah, okay, so you're, the age range, uh, Red Rock, is uh, 18 to? So 18 to 29. Okay. So originally we used to say sort of shorthand 18 to 25, right? Well, as again, culturally, we're a reflection of, of the greater culture as a whole, with shows like Sex in the City and stuff like that popularizing right. sort of grown adults behaving as teenagers. You know, 40s the new 30, 30s the new 20. Well, then what? 20s the new 15, it's right? Yeah, 15s so the new. We really look at um, as a developmental model. So you might okay. have, you know, a 29-year-old who's functioning as a 16-year-old. Like you said, still living in the basement, in and out of jobs, can't maintain a job. You may also find a 23-year-old who has a house, a mortgage, two right. kids, and running their own business. Right, right. So you really can't treat those the same. Okay, now let's talk about, uh, and, and I'm sure as you, as you begin to niche market, you know, the treatment, you're seeing significant developmental markers in that 18 to 29 year old that we wouldn't otherwise identify if we're just dealing all the way up to 80. So let's talk about brain development if from 18 to 29, first, are you working with men? Is, is Red Rock men? Men and women. Men and women. Okay, great. So let's talk about those, that 18 to 29 development developmental pieces, not forgetting that if they have been using for 10 years, their development is significantly delayed. So let's do that one on the, on the backside of it. But let's talk about what is normal development? What types of things are we seeing in 18 to 29? Absolutely. So I don't know the last time you hung out with an 18 to 29 year old. I have a 23 and a 24 year old. Yep. But if you remove the addiction piece, they're a difficult population. They, they have all the autonomy of an adult without any of the prefrontal cortex and understanding and maturity of an adult. Because the research is showing frontal cortex doesn't fully develop in men till 70 no i yeah. <laughs> no but like 30 is the new research Abs absolutely and so it's and that number has only grown yeah originally it was 21 then we pushed it to 25 right and now we're starting to understand i mean you enter trauma into the mix you enter uh substance abuse into the into the mix and it could be as late as 29 right and so for those who don't know the prefrontal cortex is basically what allows you to understand how your current behavior affects your future self right it's the reason why you probably don't see a lot of 40 year old people in the x games launching themselves off a 40 foot <laughs> a 40 foot jump right because they understand that well if i'm going to drop in this what are my health insurance and pre premiums are they going to go up do i have accident coverage can i that's not something right. an 18 year old thinks about. that's right and so that creates a wonderful um and unfortunate safe haven for addiction because frankly the reason drugs and alcohol are so popular is because they work 
They work until they don't. And what people don't understand at 18 to 29 is how someday they will stop working. Someday they're going to have adverse effects. And instead, you're just focused and absolutely incapable of understanding how something that's going so well today could cause me so many problems in the future. What you just said is so important because we're talking about capability, not willingness. And willingness is the piece that the parents get so upset about. This is why we hear the, you're making bad choices. This is about capability. This is the brain's capability of not recognizing current action effect, affecting future. Absolutely. And what I want people to understand is this is not relegated to addiction. This is a developmental human issue. This is not a moral issue. And that's why it's so frustrating and you bang your head against the wall. Right. Why don't you understand why this is going to cause you problems? Nobody in that developmental um, age range understands. It's just unfortunate some have addictive tendencies and some don't. Isn't that just, and I'm a devil's advocate, isn't that just a byproduct of life experience? What do you, tell me more. Well, like, like when you're saying that, you know, we are saying they don't have the cap capability to recognize that what you're doing now is going to affect you to affect your future. Is that just because they don't have as much life experience as a 40 year old who goes, you know, when I did that in my twenties, I didn't move very well for a week and I lost some work and got fired. And so this goes to the piece that you mentioned in the question, which is when your brain is forming around addiction, so not only do you not have the prefrontal cortex, but what you, the connections you are making are now forming around addiction, around dopamine rewards systems, around maladaptive behaviors, right. around lying, stealing, cheating, the, the rules of addiction. Then when you are 30, 40, there's no amount of life experience that's going to change the fact that your brain was developed around addiction, to right. support addiction. And you go one step further, your social group, has now formed to support your addiction. The people that you keep in your life has now formed around your addiction. The job that you have is now formed around your addiction. You know, are you a, a car salesman who can spend two hour lunch breaks getting drunk and come back to work? Or, you know, do you work in a university? Those are probably gonna be two different outcomes on the way that you're able to allow your substance use to grow. The term you used in the beginning that I want parents to start becoming familiar with is emerging adults. This is the 18 to 29 year olds. We're starting to talk about some of the, 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 the unique developmental characteristics. Um, the brain not being able to consider the future is one. What's another? So you hit on the word unique, and I think that that's really important takeaway here is that this is a unique developmental stage and it's defined by in-betweenness. It's defined by the fact that you're not an adolescent anymore, but you're also not an adult. And there, you'll never fit into those two categories in that developmental stage. And unfortunately, for some people, it's easier to align with adolescence in certain situations right. and then align with adulthood in other situations. And I think that that's the frustrating part for parents. It's got to be frustrating for the, the, the emerging adult as well, is that sometimes they still feel like a child and sometimes they still, they're, they're wondering why they don't have 120,000 a year in a job that they love. And like this is, this is and, it's, and this gets blamed on being a millennial, you know, that you've come out expecting all this stuff and you've got to earn it and create it, but we're still talking about some childlike brain function going on. Absolutely, and a great example is uh, finances, right? So you, you kind of touched on that. So I have all of this responsibility. I'm expected to move outside of the house. I'm expected to do all of these Pay things. Pay taxes. Exactly. but. I'm on my parents' insurance. 
So my parents feel like they can dictate my treatment. They feel like they can dictate who I see. They feel like they can dictate all of these things. On the other hand, they want me to be strong, independent, and on my own two feet. They're telling me to pay my bills, but I'm still on the family plan. Exactly. And so which is it? So you're willing to pay for my cell phone and you're willing to pay for my treatment, but you won't pay for the sober living after treatment. Right. Well, which is it? Which is it? So which is it? What should be, let's talk to the parents right now because... I'm assuming a lot of the emerging adults you're working with, their parents are paying for stuff because you're, you're working with people who are coming out of treatment, people who are coming to you guys instead of going to a treatment facility. So is it the parents who are paying? Absolutely. So I had a supervisor tell me this once. Your, your love should be unconditional. Your financial support should not. Wow, that's good. So what that means and what I take from that is that you can absolutely love your child and love them to the, to the ends of the earth, but financial support should be used for things that support recovery. And I think one of the most difficult things to do is to align with the treatment team because the treatment team is going to tell you some hard truths. They're going to tell your loved ones some hard truths. And frankly, addiction is difficult and recovery is difficult. And so are there going to be some difficult decisions to be made down the road? And the sooner that you can have faith in your treatment team and align with the treatment team and begin spending your resources in more effective ways, in ways that have been shown and evident to support recovery, the better off that you'll be. What does treatment look like for an emerging adult? Let's, let's actually talk through a day in your program just so that parents, you know, because that's what they're going to want to know. Okay, I got a 24-year-old who's... She's not, you know, it's just not happening. She's still using, she stays out parties. And, and I think I need a program, maybe not residential lockdown, maybe not, you know, uh, outpatient where she's still living at home. So they're talking to you. So what are they discovering their kid's going to do with you? So the wonderful part about our program is we really tried to take the best of residential and the best of outpatient and leave all the rest. Okay. And what I mean by that is one of the biggest complaints in residential is it doesn't feel like earned sobriety. So I'm on lockdown 24 seven. I go to eight hours of class a day. I have a therapist at my beck and call every time I ring the bell. I get three meals a day cooked for me. That's not independent living. Right. If you took me out of my life for 30 days and took care of all of my expenses and all of my outside obligations, I'd probably get some work done too. And when we're talking to parents about putting their children, because our program's 12 to 17, when their kids are coming in here and we tell the parents what the kids are going to do today, the parents are like, could I do that instead of my kid? Because I could really use someone cooking for me, a therapist at my beck and call, some schooling, some more education, and just some me time. Absolutely. So, and those places are 100% necessary and phenomenal at getting people sober. Yes. They're not meant to keep people sober. And so our extended care program, and if you look at the research, it's research, it's a direct correlation. Longer time spent in treatment equals longer time sober after treatment. So when I worked in residential, we were desperate for facilities like Red Rock to get our clients sustained recovery. And so what a day in the life of a client for us looks like is daily AA meetings, 12-step meetings, smart recovery meetings, whatever kind of meeting they're into because of the community, not necessarily because of the ideology. And I think the ideology turns off a lot of young adults. Let me explain to parents, smart 
is another version of, of uh, uh, community groups and peer mentorship and addiction recovery like AA, um, and it's an, uh, it's an alternative to AA. Absolutely. There's Life Ring. There's all sorts of right. uh, refuge recovery. Um, and we really support all pathways to recovery. So they're going to be going to some sort of community support meeting every single day. They have a thing called coffee dates. They need to get at least two coffee dates with somebody who's sober in the community for at least a year where they are spending time creating networks beyond the walls of treatment. The idea and the point of treatment is that it ends. We want Red Rock to be in the distant past for our clients someday. We want them, we want it to be a part of their story, but not their current story. We want them to create community relationships and with peers in recovery who are doing it, who are doing it and doing it well. Um, so research shows that, uh, and you guys can all probably have an example in your mind of this, that the number one influence in a, in a young adult's life or an emerging adult's life is their peer group. Right. They want to be, um, they want to be a part of something. They don't care what their probation officer says. They don't care what their teacher says. They don't care what their parents say. They do care what their friends say. Right. And if their friends are delivering positive recovery messages, the likelihood of them staying sober is exponential. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to, two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate. And you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. Darren, let's continue with a day in the life. Absolutely. So one thing I wanted to talk about, too, is our gender-specific treatment. So the research so shows, and you can actually just ask them, and they'll tell you how big of a distraction a romantic partner is in early treatment. Right. Um, if you have a young adult or emerging adult in your life, you know that they're they're crazy about the opposite sex or they're crazy about romantic relationships and many of them have left treatment because of it. Many of them have relapsed because of it. And so it's really important that we have gender specific treatment. Um, so for example, the um, guys have a, their own schedule. The girls have their own schedule. They're kept separate. They're in the center at different times. So like I was talking about the coffee dates and the importance of community integration. So community integration, we've actually taken a step further and not simply outsourcing it to the community of AA, but incorporating it into our therapeutic practices. So having clinicians taking clients out into the community to be a part of a fun, exciting, and active recovery. 
Now we're extremely fortunate to be in Colorado where there is a huge active community that instead of going out to a club on a Saturday night, they're in bed by eight because they're waking up at four because they got to be on the mountain at six. Because there's an active hiking community. There's exactly. a, it's one of the things we love best about Colorado. Absolutely. So we're incredibly fortunate. And Denver is an easy sell. Yeah. So we get clients from all over the country, and we're fortunate that many of them do a lot of work to create and foster a community of recovery support here, and then they stick around. Right. Because where they're from is a drinking culture. Where they're from is a using culture. Right. If they're from the East Coast, there's a lot of heroin in use. If they're from the Midwest, there's a lot of uh, Matthews and if they're from the south it's a, there's a lot of drinking and so all of those different places come here and it's sort of a centrally located Denver and they get exposed to things like rock climbing hiking um, skiing you, yeah you name it right. and and with all the the advantages of a large city you know stuff to do concerts to go to sports games like we got we got it yep and so that brings me to a central piece in the treating the emerging adult is you got to make recovery fun 50 years ago, recovery was relegated to church basements, smoking cigarettes, and drinking coffee. It's a very different scene right now. Recovery is fun, and we are shaping the future of recovery. It's happening on the, on the top of mountains. It's happening on the side of rock walls. It's, it's happening in all kinds of different forms. People are talking and, and soaking up recovery in a lot of unique and creative ways, and we need to plug in and expose our emerging adults to that because if you sell it to them by giving them a pamphlet, if you sell it to them as simply AA, that will not be a big enough draw. Right. Now, how about life skills? Like you talked about balancing a checkbook and, and things like that, because some of your kids are still on mom, mom and dad's ticket. Others, some of the older ones, they may have left a job to come to your treatment center. Absolutely. So things like budgeting, resume building, how to dress and act in an interview, uh, how to make your bed, how much laundry detergent to use, um, you name it. Those are huge parts of our program, not only for the life skills piece, but for the accountability. To understand that there are days you're going to wake up and not want to make your bed. There are days you're going to wake up and not want to go to that meeting. And going to that meeting could be the difference between whether you go to that meeting tomorrow, the next day, and the next day. Right. Or whether you're one of the countless stories that you hear, you hear every day in the rooms of AA about how I stopped going to meetings, stopped seeing my sponsor, and I eventually relapsed. So just embracing some of the things, the little things in life that I don't want to do because it doesn't give me a reward. It doesn't give me the dopamine that drugs and alcohol did. And so retraining the brain day in and day out, hour by hour, that sometimes you have to do things without an immediate reward, knowing that you'll get a reward in the end. Darren, let's talk about Red Rock and uh, uh, you know give, give some contact information and everything as we wrap around here. Absolutely. So again, we're in Lakewood, Colorado. So we're on the west side of Denver in a suburb um, nestled right up against the foothills. Casa Bonita, baby. <laughs> Absolutely. I used to live in Lakewood. Absolutely. Casa Bonita, baby. So we're in this wonderful place where we have the mountains right to our west yep. and we have this the city right to our east. It's a great place. Absolutely. And so you can take advantages of kind of both of the best things that Denver has to off- offer. One of the great things about our treatment is that we are 90 days um, with an open-ended OP if they want to continue to utilize their services. What I really love about this is that we are not incubating our clients. They are living life. They are going to work and getting offered marijuana by one of their cooks. They are getting invited to happy hour after work. They are getting triggered. They are getting exposed to the world as we know it, which is going to have substances forever. It's going to have alcohol and drugs available in it forever. And it's not about 
incubating them from that. It's about learning how to process triggers, avoid triggers, because after they get offered a happy hour and that thought comes across their mind and they get dysregulated, guess what? They're coming to group at three o'clock. You said you're a hybrid program, which means they are living in a, in a not a facility, but in a sober house. Mm -hmm. They're coming to your program, but it's not an enclosed structure that they never get to leave. Absolutely. It's a three-tiered system. So we have phase one, two, and three, and that's basically privileges. And so phase one being the most restrictive, all the way up to phase three, where they have a car, right. they're driving themselves to work. Um, phase two clients are using public transportation. So again, they're sitting at the bus stop. They're, they're seeing life happen in front of them, right. but they have the full wraparound clinical service. Services. They all have an individual therapist, group therapy every single day, a case manager to help them with budgeting life skills, house managers to help them as peer support specialists. At all the services that they need in this very difficult transition, very much like their transition from adolescence to adulthood, their transition from using to sobriety. You're, you're saying people can come to you guys after you know, treatment as a step down or in place of a residential program as a primary care. Absolutely. Okay. And we're, we do really well as a step down from residential treatment. So here you got your 30 days of incubation. You got stabilized. You're in an acute place. You probably ride in the high from all the new information that you have. Yeah. Now how do I use it? How do I live sober? Because nothing smacks you in the face like having someone smoke weed on a, on a lunch break at your work. That doesn't happen in residential treatment. <laughs> I can tell you it happens every single day in entry-level positions where many of our emerging adults are gonna be. Or, like you said, coming off the street, right? So yeah, I just yeah. had a lapse, or I had a relapse, or I had something that doesn't warrant a full 30-day stay, but I absolutely need that transitional. I need to be living in a sober, safe environment, but I also need to still experience life. I need to be able to work. I need to be able to start gaining that financial stability so that my parents and, and everyone that has all these wonderful expectations for me, plus my own self, my own self-esteem, my own sense of pride, my right. own desire to mature and, and move into adulthood. Uh, young adults, 18 to 29, uh, men and women, uh, you work with insurance? Absolutely. Good. Uh, and give them some contact information. How can they get in touch with your uh, phone number, the phone number, website, all that stuff? Absolutely. So you can go to redrockrecoverycenter.com. You can also call us at our office at 888-719-1097. Darren Miller, Red Rock Recovery, Lakewood, Colorado. Uh, you guys are making a big stink out here in Colorado. You're, you're, you're making waves out here. So nice work. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks much. Thanks Thank for being on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting. And I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.